everybody from well monster kid radio that's the podcast this is episode 161 and i am your host writer producer derek m cook we're kicking off the show with the song winter wonderland it's the rendition by the nick adams it's from their album the nick adams christmas record it appears with their permission you're going to hear it in its entirety at the end of this episode which is all about the holiday it's the end of december and well we're in the Christmas spirit here at Monster Kid Radio, so much so that we're going to visit another Santa Claus-themed kind of classic movie. Is it not really a is it a monster movie? I don't know. I guess the devil's in it, and there's some magic, there's some fantasy. It's it's 1959's Santa Claus. Yeah, well, we'll get into that here in a second. Before that, though, monsterkidradio.net. That's where you're going to find everything you need to know about the podcast. Between episodes, we've got links to our oft-neglected YouTube channel. We also have a live 365 internet radio station where you can listen to music and sounds from movies from the 30s to the 60s. There's also a link to our Facebook group. If you're a user of Facebook, I'm going to encourage you to get over there. Join the group because I'm going to start doing some polls, some surveys. We've got some new things coming up in 2015, some directions that I may take with the podcast. And well, I'd be interested in hearing your input. As a listener of the podcast, I'd like to know what you guys and gals think. So get on to Facebook. Facebook. If you're a Facebook user, join the group. Let your opinion be heard. Now, there's not a link to this, but we also have a Facebook page that you can like on Facebook. So if you like us, well, we'd appreciate it. Okay, back to our website. There's our contact information. Our email address is monsterkidradio at gmail.com. And we have a voicemail line. It's 503-479-5657. That's 503-4795-M. KR. And what's cool about this episode of Monster Kid Radio is a number of guests from the past have called into that voicemail line and left us some holiday greetings. I'm going to be playing here on the show, but that's going to be after part one of my conversation with returning Monster Kid Radio guest Scott Morris. He's the main man standing next to the main woman over at Disney Indiana, which is one of the best Disney podcast out there. Scott's also my co-host over at 1951 Down Place. He's a podcast legend as far as I'm concerned, and he's on this show to talk about this 1959 film, Santa Claus, directed by Rene Cardona, but it was released here in the States by a guy by the name of K. Gordon Murray. This guy brought a lot of Mexican cinema into America and made it more widespread to people like me and Scott and a lot of you. So, I'm looking forward to get into this movie. I'm going to tell you a little bit about the story behind how I came to have this movie as part of my permanent movie collection in the conversation with Scott. This is spoiler heavy. If you haven't seen the movie, well, we're going to kind of go through it step by step, kind of really hitting a lot of the main points. If you don't mind, well, stay tuned. If you don't want to be spoiled, go watch the movie and then come back. The movie is in the public domain. It's on YouTube. You can find it online pretty much anywhere. I watched it on Blu-ray. So if you want to get fancy, well, you can, but yeah, go watch it on YouTube and then come back here or just listen to the show and let the movie be spoiled. Or maybe you've already seen it. Maybe this is one of your favorites. It's one of Scott's favorites. I don't know if it's one of mine yet. We'll find out right after this. Samson and the Vampire Women. Deep in the bowels of the earth live the most savage and vicious of all women. They capture, they drain the blood from human beings to make themselves beautiful in Samson and the Vampire Women. These two blue marks close together on the victim's neck are what have me puzzled, Inspector. Besides that, we didn't find one drop of blood in the corpse. Why, you could swear that a vampire murdered the girl. Hey, now that I think about it, I'll bet those monsters were vampires, Doc. See mighty Samson set fire to the vampire's cave. 
in Samson and the Vampire Women. Hammer Film Productions began in 1934, and after producing almost 200 films and television programs, the studio is still releasing and re-releasing new and classic film titles. 1951 Downplays is the podcast that brings you the story of the great Hammer films, one movie at a time. Here are your hosts describing what Hammer means to them. First is Casey. Hammer means the beautiful and glamorous women of Hammer Horror, the engaging storytelling, and amazing period films. Joining him is Derek. Hammer means the incredible work of actors like Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee, and even Michael Ripper. The gothic storytelling, the incredible music, and the set pieces. And finally, here's Scott. Hammer? Wasn't that an 80s cop show on ABC with David Raish? This boy has a lot to learn. Join our hosts as they make their journey through the Hammer Films catalogue and discuss each film with critical opinion, historical facts, production notes and other information about these classic films. 1951 Downplace can be found in iTunes or their website www.1951downplace.com Wait, that was Sledgehammer. 1951 Downplace, the home of Hammer Films discussion. How much shock can you take? From the depths of evil comes a diabolic killer of beautiful women. The Vampire's Coffin. See a vampire's body stolen from its tomb. A psycho killer removes the stake so the vampire can again prey on beautiful women. And to complete a double night of horror, a monster's nightmare of terror turned loose in a fight to the death. The robot versus the Aztec mummy. They will bring you a night of terror. But don't come alone. The Vampire's Coffin in an all-new double horrorama show with The Robot versus the Aztec Mummy. Presented in Hypnoscope. It's like living a storybook adventure beyond your wildest imagination. From the North Pole of Fantasyland comes a feature-length fable with the most enchanting characters in the whole wide world. Headed by the white-whiskered fellow who's the granddaddy of them all. Now, a magic motion picture transports you to an over-the-rainbow land, past the doors of Santa's towering castle, and the strange, mysterious, all-seeing eye, into a fantastic crystal laboratory filled with weird and wonderful secrets no one has ever seen before. You'll see them all, and you'll discover how Santa can watch every child on Earth and every good or bad thing they do. Now meet Merlin, the Wizard of Wizards, the Miracle Man of the Ages. Two for the show. Away we go. Hurry, Mr. Merlin. This is no time to play horses. Come face to face with the devil himself, a mischievous demon determined to mess things up as much as he can. It's yours. Nobody saw you take it, Lupita. They have more and they won't miss it. What does one little doll matter, don't you see? Leave it to that devilish trickster to sidetrack Santa up a tree. Watch the jolly hijinks of Santa Claus as he decides to fight fire with fire. Oh-ho, a cannon. You won't want to miss the entertainment wonder of the ages. 
the treat of a lifetime for anyone who has ever believed there really is a Santa Claus. Donald's day, and Santa Claus hasn't come. Sleep now, darling. Sleep now and you will see. Maybe when you wake up, you'll find it, darling. You'll see more wonders than you can wave a wand at as a dazzling panorama unfolds before your startled eyes. Sunday matinee only at a theater near you. By the magic powers, look for the podcaster we're seeking, whether he's in a cave or behind a million mountains. Scott, have you been good this year? I've tried, but I have spent some time in a cave. (laughs) (laughs) Scott Morris, welcome back to Monster Kid Radio, my friend. Thanks for having me. And Merry Christmas. Back at you. That's right. This is going out the week of Christmas. And because, well, it's Christmas time and all that, we wanted to do another Christmas film. Now, when it comes to Christmas movies and classic monster movies, there isn't a lot of crossover or spillover. Last year, we did Santa Claus Conquers the Martians. And I had no idea how we were going to top that until Scott gave me a Christmas present. He gave me the Blu-ray release of 1959's Santa Claus from director Rene Cardona or Kay Gordon Murray. Wow. Now, I sat on this. I mean, I actually had this movie in my collection for years because Scott gave me a copy of it years ago on DVD. But I didn't want to watch the Blu-ray until this year because one of the first things that came out of Scott's mouth when he saw me open this was, I want to do this on Monster Kid Radio with you. It's like, okay, cool. I'll sit on it until next year. No problem. I don't know if it's aged like a fine wine sitting on my shelf. But it's been waiting for me, and I finally dove into it. And you guys have no idea how much I've been looking forward to having this conversation with him because he's <laughs> never seen this film. <laughs> that seems to be a trend lately here on Monster Kid Radio, movies that I thought I had seen but really hadn't and discovering that. And this isn't one that I had thought I had seen. I just knew about it. <laughs> I'd heard it discussed on other podcasts, and I knew it was a staple of Mystery Science Theater 3000, which Scott's a huge fan of. Is that where you first saw this film? This is where I first saw this film. It was a season five Mike episode, episode number 521. Oh, God, it really feels like a Mike episode. It really <laughs> does. It was released on uh, MST3K December 24th, 1993. How many times have you watched it? I've lost count. I really have. Wow. I've watched it more, missed it, obviously, but I have watched it several times uh, straight and just here recently uh, went to see it on the big screen with the Rift Tracks folks, which was uh, uh, born out of Mystery Science Theater 3000. So it was a lot of fun. That's Mike's group again, right? Yes. So it was a lot of fun to watch it on the big screen. New jokes? New jokes. Did you learn anything different or new about the film? (laughs) (laughs) No, not really. (laughs) But... Uh, unfortunately, my, my favorite joke from the film is it, it wasn't on the, the big screen ones. It's actually on the original uh, Mystery Science Theater episode. And it's <laughs> actually not during the movie. At the end of the movie, a couple of the characters, you see Santa and Pitch actually show up in Deep 13. And Santa walks in going, ho, 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 I'm here to kick butt and lick candy canes, and I'm all out of candy canes. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, wow. Well, we don't want to make Santa angry. (laughs) No. (laughs) No, Lupita. (laughs) Oh, man. I, you know, this one is, wow. I kind of knew what I was in for. I knew the story. I knew that it's Santa Claus versus the devil. I knew that Merlin shows up at one point. I had no idea that there seemed to be this really creepy relationship between Santa and the children. And... (laughs) As I was saying before we started recording to Derek, I have a feeling that down in Mexico, somebody got the idea of let's do a, a holiday movie. And they got some filmmakers together and say, okay, we don't have Santa Claus down here, 
basically what Santa does is he comes to the world one day a year and gives presents to all the good little boys and girls. Go make a movie on it. Not knowing anything about the Santa Claus mythos, they decided to make a movie. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> and Rene Cardona, I mean, he's somebody whose movies I've watched and been thrilled by. This guy's done a number of Santo films. And I love Santo. I love the Luchador movies, the Lucha Libre monster movies. I love that stuff. And, and you know, he's done some of the stuff with Santo. He's done, I mean... Now I want to see a Santa Santo movie. Oh, God, you know, I had the same thought. And I'm sure somebody's <laughs> already done it. But I want to do like a Santo Claus picture of the silver mask with the, with the Santa hat. Anyway, <laughs> but I've seen a lot of these movies, you know, the Batwoman, you know, and just all these Santo films. And, I mean, those are goofy and, you know, aren't necessarily super serious or anything like that. And I get that. But this one. This one goes off the goofy scale. Oh, it goes off the rails. <laughs> it's bright and vibrant, which you don't get with a lot of the Santo films, unfortunately, especially the older ones because they're in black and white. And I mean, other people made other Santo films as well, but some of the older Santo films are in black and white. And when they're color, though, I love them. And this one is an example of why I really love like 50s color Mexican monster movies or horror movies because the colors are just so vibrant. That culture throws a lot of color into a lot of their festivities and the things that they think are important. And this movie is packed with it. And the Blu-ray looks gorgeous. So the colors are nice and vibrant and in your face whether you want them to be or not. There's an extra feature from uh, Ballyhoo productions on on the blu-ray and in there they interview kevin murphy from mystery science theater 3000 and he makes the comment that the colors in this movie he kind of felt like he was hit in the face with a clown i i felt like something was done to me by a clown by the time i was done with this <laughs> <laughs> oh boy all right k gordon murray what do we know about k gordon murray i don't know a whole lot about him myself I know that he spent time in Mexico and he's imported basically a lot of films to the U.S. The way you say that, it makes it sound like he was like doing prison time or something. He spent time <laughs> down in Mexico. <laughs> he was a film producer. Yes. He imported these films from Mexico, made some changes to them, dubbed them in English, recut them a little bit. Maybe change the main character's name. Like with the Santo films that he brought up, he actually changed it to Samson. Yeah, he did a little little cutting on this film as well, but I'm sure we'll get into it. But I don't know as much as I'd like to about this guy. I know that he made some other films that weren't necessarily imported from Mexico. He did a handful of like Santa Claus shorts, right? Yes. And some of them yes, are on the Blu-ray. Yeah, on the Blu-ray there are several, like three or four uh, shorts on Santa Claus. And I think a Howdy Doody episode as well. Yeah, I didn't get a chance to make it all the way through all the special features on this, but I did kind of skim through them and howdy duty. Okay, why not? That <laughs> makes perfect sense for this. <sighs> uh, he apparently was the narrator of the film and of Santa a, Claus. Yes, yeah. and he also narrates uh, the radio spot and the television commercial uh, trailer for the film that's on the Blu-ray. The man, I guess, is responsible for bringing some of the Mexican wrestler movies up to the U.S. and maybe giving him some exposure. I, I don't know if it's fair to say that without him, maybe we wouldn't be as aware of them as we are, or at least MST3K would be minus a few movies. Because <laughs> a lot of his stuff ended up on Mystery Science Theater, right? Well, there's this film. There's also the robot versus the Aztec mummy showed up on... Mystery Science Theater 3000. The Samson films. At least one of them, right? Uh, and I think uh, Wrestling Women might have yeah. been as well. One of the websites that I was looking at implies that he was really kind of involved with the exploitation of film, meaning that he would direct films directly to like the adult crowd if it was an, a, a more mature theme and he used those themes those tactics to really exploit this film but aimed the advertising directly at kids and i did watch the two trailers on the blu-ray and yeah i mean it, it really is 
talking directly to the children, trying to sell this film to them, despite the fact that they slap all over the movie poster that it won some sort of award that we have never, ever heard of. I don't think kids would care that this movie won the Best Family Films Award at the San Francisco Film Festival. Yes, the Golden Gate Award. See, you said Golden Gate before we started recording. The poster I'm looking at just says San Francisco Film Festival. I don't know if that's a real thing or not. I would not be surprised if it was not. And it's not the first time that movies have done this. But In the uh, IMDb listing for the film, it does say uh, in its awards, San Francisco International Film Festival 1959 won the Golden Gate Award for the best international family film. Well, the San Francisco International Film Festival is a real thing. Oh, well, whatever. Anyway, Santa Claus. <laughs> he is kind of creepy in this. I did not find him to be a very attractive person to be around. He kind of <laughs> creeped me out. I think a lot of the problem with him in this film is the dubbing because it doesn't even come close to his mouth movements. It looks like... He's here, but the voice is coming from someplace else, and that gives him a very creepy look to him. Once I got past that, I didn't have a problem thinking that he was creepy, it, it, just other than that weird dubbing style. Where I find him a little unusual is he seems to be an amalgam of what we know of Santa Claus, uh, Jesus Christ, and a superhero. Santa Claus is a superhero. Well, look at him. He's got all of these. He's, he's sort of like a Batman type because he uses all these gadgets. And he's got his workshop and his place where he spies on the kids is sort of like the Batcave to me. Spying be the operative word here, and we'll get back to that. <laughs> but I definitely get that kind of feel. If you take all three of those characters and mesh them together. Again, it has that feel, like you said, that Either the people behind creating this film had no clue what the American Santa Claus was, or if they knew what Santa Claus was, maybe their culture just had a slightly different representation. This movie does try to blend some Christianity into the film. There is talk of, by Jesus's power, get me to all the children. You know, there's that. And at the end with Lupita's mom praying. Well, you've got Santa Claus at the very beginning of the film setting up a nativity. Yeah. So they do blend that, which I found interesting. You don't see that in American Santa movies. One of the um, points they make in the extra special features in the making of the Ballyhoo put together, at this time in the, in the 50s in Mexico, in the big cities like Mexico City, Santa Claus did show up in like the department stores. But for most of the country, Santa Claus wasn't their go-to thing for Christmas time. It was the three magi, and that's who delivered the presents to all of the kids in the country. So most of Mexico, Santa Claus was alien to them. They didn't know that much about him. I get that impression from this <laughs> film. First of all, that he lives somewhere not on Earth. I mean, Santa Claus... You and I growing up, and not to be culturally insensitive here, so when we see something like the real Santa Claus, we're not Santa Skull. We're just saying this right. is what we grew up with. Santa Claus lives on the North Pole. And here he lives in a crystal castle floating above the North Pole. Which is a little different. You know, they talk a little bit about that, but then when they do the creeper we're going to spy on children bit, and you start with this view of the globe and then zoom in, it really kind of sinks in that, wait a minute. This Santa Claus is interstellar. <laughs> yeah, Mars didn't need their own. He could have serviced Mars, too. <laughs> he really could have. But even though we're in outer space, kind of, and doing this other stuff, we, we still have some more terrestrial weirdness happening because we've got the devil. We hang out with Lucifer and a bunch of dancing Satans. <laughs> Lucifer and his dancing Satans. Sunday at 2 o'clock. It's definitely a... Um a big, huge production dance number when we first meet or first see hell in this film. I, I wouldn't call it a huge production <laughs> dance number. Well, just... huge in the amount of people that you see. That's true. They spent a lot of money on red makeup and red leotards. And actually, that scene is a lot longer in the original uh, Spanish cut of the film or Mexican Mexican cut, Spanish cut, Mexican cut. Mexican yeah. cut, yeah. We were talking about this off mic. This Blu-ray 
like I said, I didn't make it through all the special features, but there is some footage from a 16 millimeter print of the film or version of the film. It's notable for a couple of different reasons, but one of them being that it's got this longer dance number with all these things that look like they'd be more at home in one of the Santo versus a monster movie wandering around doing this. Well, they called it the parade of the dam. It, it looks like a bunch of figures that are in robes and hoods that come up over their faces. So you don't see them kind of parading into hell while all of the devils are doing this dance number. And it goes on for a good three, four minutes. So not only would it have been cut for content, it probably would have been cut for time because it really, what am I saying? There's a lot of this movie that should have been cut for time. Well, the, again, going back to the bonus features, uh, it was stated that K. Gordon Murray cut a lot of this scene down because he was trying to aim it a little bit for the younger audience and having a parade of the dam in a kid's movie he thought was kind of wrong. Yeah, I could see that being a little over the top. Unfortunately, and you know, I was debating whether or not we were going to say this on the show because we both had the same thought. The film print, the 16 millimeter film, had not been restored the way the film had been. So it's got a lot of artifacting. The colors have kind of bled a little bit, and there's a lot of really dark areas that make it look like the devil's um, just just hit puberty. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> a good way to put it. Thank you. <laughs> what a what an interesting uh, film. <laughs> the other thing about this bonus footage, there's a very long sequence where Santa Claus is, is introducing the different children. And of the it's world. right at the beginning. After he finishes his nativity, this is where we meet Santa's helpers. Who aren't elves. He sits down at a giant organ and starts playing music on there. And as he's playing, where you would normally have like the sheet music on the organ, there is a screen that changes to a name of a different country or a region of the world. And the music sort of ties in with that region. And then we're taken to the, basically the shop floor where we see a group of kids from that region singing and building toys. So in the 16 millimeter footage, the name of the country is in English, but in the restored film, it's the original Spanish, even though Santa speaking in dubbed English, identifying each country for us. Although we probably didn't really need that because the children are all dressed in a very, very stereotypical costume of whatever part of the world they're from. The Asian, the, what was it, the Asian country where the very, very young girls dancing in that. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> she's 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 wearing like a belly dancing outfit and doing this very slow kind of wiggle. Well, there's that, and then there's the I don't remember if it was Central America. I think it was Central America where they talked about having kids from Brazil, and there's a girl dressed up as Carmen Miranda. There's a girl dressed up as Carmen Miranda, and I think it's either there or the Mexico kids, where while they're doing the song, there's one kid in the back who's just vigorously stroking yes, the toy that's rifle. The Mexico one. <laughs> wow. I mean, it's just a kid playing around, but he is going to town on it. I don't know why. Maybe he's just making sure it's nice and polished and shiny. And that, I mean, to show you how stereotypical they're going, the first group of kids they show is from Africa. And they look oh, like God. they're headhunters or something. You know, the stereotypical yeah. movie headhunters. Wearing loincloths. And carrying spears. And oh, the Chinese and Japanese kids, you can't understand. They didn't get dubbed. <laughs> so they're still speaking Japanese or Chinese. Everybody else, at least later in the film, when you're actually interacting with the individual children, they get dubbed into English. Except for the Asian kids. Yes. You don't get to understand them at all. So, yeah, it was basically It's a Small World toy shop. It was worse than It's a Small I, You know, you're the Disney guy. You've been to the parks numerous times. How many times have you been on the It's a Small World ride? Oh, you've got to go every time you go to the park. So. You don't have to, but how many times? <laughs> oh, I do. We, we go at least once every time we go. Why? <laughs> because it's Disney. Well, I think It's a Small World is um, preferable to this whole thing because there's, there's an edge of weird darkness to this to me. There's Santa Claus on a planet. He's the only adult other than Merlin. <laughs> on the planet. There's no Mrs. Claus, really. Oh, so the version you watched didn't have the Keymaster? 
Oh, that's right. There's the the guy who makes the magic golden key that yeah. lets you go into any door you want, which apparently Santa needs to, you know, go abduct all these kids for his workshop. Now, when you're watching that scene with, with the toy floor, when they're focusing on one nation or one region of the world, did you notice in the background, the kids in the background, just kind of vacant stares on their faces, not doing anything? That was what's really creepy. Not even in that. I mean, not even in the background. There are some shots in which half the kids in the foreground just look like they're bored or stoned. They don't know what they're supposed to be doing there. It's really weird. You had a theory about this. My, yes. My theory is what we're seeing is all of the naughty kids of the world that Santa has abducted and forced them to work in his sweatshop. So children, don't be bad. If you end up on the naughty list, <laughs> you're going to get forced into <laughs> slavery at Santa's workshop. And dressed stereotypical of whatever country you're from. What a what a weird scene in a very weird film. I, I should probably say, I know I'm sounding very critical of the film already. I did not hate this movie. But there are a lot of things in this that are just flat out bizarre. I'd like to think that when the original audiences saw this, either in Mexico or the, the San Francisco International Film Festival – Somebody was shaking their head going, what, what is this? I mean, obviously it won an award or supposedly it won an award, but this isn't just a cultural thing for Scott and I being a couple of white guys in our 40s watching this movie. This is a genuinely bizarre film, I, I think. Oh, definitely. Right? I, okay. I mean, we haven't even gotten to his surveillance lab. We haven't gotten to some really creepy transportation mode that he has. <laughs> well, let's talk about the lab. Let's talk about the lab and talk about Santa's I'm watching everything you do. Now I get that part of the Santo or Santo. <laughs> I get that part of the Santa story is that he knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for good. I get that. Okay. But you didn't know that he had NSA abilities at that point, did you? <laughs> is that NSA? Is that did the NSA use a telescope that looks like a giant eyeball on a tentacle thing? Yeah. To me, that looks like it's straight out of War of the Worlds. It really does. A very low budget production of War of the Worlds. The ear antenna, though, that which looks like a fan <laughs> with an ear stuck in the middle of it. Well, yeah. How else are you going to hear? But so uh, you, part of the story, yeah, go ahead. you're not, you're, you're skipping over the most creepy one though. Is it the, I'm, I'm watching your dreams. No, that that's creepy, but no, the machine that he can hear him <laughs> that has this set of oversized, very pink lips on it. Oh yeah. That's the creepiest one. So when the computer or the machines talk back to him. Or even that, or when he zones in on a certain kid if he wants to hear them talking the lips make and you hear the kid talking from down on earth what a bizarre bizarre headquarters for santa and he's got like three trusted kid advisors i don't know because like you got pedro in there and Pe pedro is this little kid from mexico that is and you can tell because he's got a sombrero and a, a poncho, a poncho on, on. And he's he's sort of Santa's. He's the guy that makes sure everything runs on time and makes Santa makes sure Santa is where he needs to be when he needs to be there. He's sort of his personal assistant. He's like the Mrs. Claus stand. Yeah, you know. But he's the one. I'm just going to leave that hanging there. By the way, <laughs> yeah, he's the one that operates the machinery, finds the kid. I mean, at one time Santa's wanting to find a certain kid and. Pedro goes over the machine and he reads the the magic poem that Derek mentioned earlier. Uh, By the magic powers, look for the uh, child we're seeking, whether he is in a cave or behind a million mountains. Pedro then goes over to the telescope and he's looking through and then he yells to Santa, "I've found them!" Santa walks over to the micro or to the telescope, looks in, and all we see is the Earth. Well, of course, well he found them because he's on Earth. <laughs> Good job, Pedro. <laughs> But then he can zoom into a specific person through that telescope or a group of kids. It, there's a little boy, a little girl, and a group of three boys that we kind of follow. And they're the only ones that Santa and then in the same vein pitch are interested in through the rest of the movie. Even though they're so, supposed to be servicing all the kids in the entire world. <laughs> yeah. 
so if this film were to have a story, <laughs> it really is the kids, those, those four or five kids that you kind of mentioned. They're the ones that I suppose would be the entry point for the kids watching this film. You've got Lupita. Who's the little girl, for lack of a better term, the little poor little girl whose father doesn't have a job. Her mom doesn't work. They have a little hovel in Mexico City. But all that she wants is a little dolly to the point of she actually takes one and stuffs it under her little shawl that she's wearing. Not subtle at all. That's when she meets Pitch, who is the devil's minion that he sends up to the surface to make sure all of the boys and girls on the earth become evil. So then I guess they can take over if all the kids are evil and Santa Claus will be defeated. And then, of course, if Pitch fails, his punishment is to eat ice cream. Chocolate Chocolate ice cream, cream. Yes, because he can't eat anything cold since they live in hell. Oh, no, (laughs) Lucifer, don't make me. He appears next to Lupita and it's telling him, go ahead, no one saw you. You can take the little dolly. It's yours. Of course, Santa sees this whole thing and sees that Lupita doesn't listen to the devil and goes back and returns the little dolly. No, no, <laughs> Lupita. But we also are introduced to, actually, we're introduced to all of the kids where they're looking through a window at a big department store that's all decked out for Christmas. Right. Including... Even a creepier Santa Claus mechanical moving around. I love that Santa Claus. <laughs> I would put that Santa Claus up in a oh, minute. Oh, I would too. I got... In a heartbeat. <laughs> yeah. In a Christmas minute, it would be up and running right now. <laughs> Creepy automated, animated Santa mannequin doll thing. It's just behind some glass in a window. Like you said, there's a nice little Christmas setup. It's a very low-budget version of that opening scene in A Christmas Story where they're all plastered up against uh, the window looking in and looking at the display. Lapita's there, and she really wants something. There's a little rich boy in there, and I didn't get the rich boy's name. Uh, Billy. Is that Billy? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he's well, he's a poor yeah. little rich boy. and Poor little rich yes. boy. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I guess that's, that's apropos. Yep. So he's there, and his parents have tons of money. So he should have everything that he wants, right? Uh, he unfortunately he doesn't because we are then we get to see a dream that he has, and also Santa can see his dream through this. What looked like I don't know if you remember the game uh, Sorry that had the little pop up thing in the center that had the die in it. Was that Sorry or was that? I know what you're talking about though. Yeah, yeah. maybe that's not the name of the game, but that's what it's sort of like a big version of that in Santa's spy shop that he could look through and see the dreams of the kids. You know what it made me think of was uh, the Star Trek episode, the gamesters of Triskelion, that episode with that, that dome with all the little things in it. Yeah. So he sees Billy's dream and Billy has the dream of waking up on Christmas morning and walk, walking down the stairs and in front of the tree are two giant boxes and in the boxes are his parents. That's all he wants is his, his parents' affection. The, the most important thing a little boy could ever want. He didn't want any or toys. He doesn't things. care about all the money because his, his parents are never home. He just wants his parents to be there. Yeah. And then you got three tough little kids. You know they're tough because one's wearing a leather jacket. I never got their names. I don't know if they have names uh, or not. The, the three gangsters, I don't know what they are. They fall for pitches, <laughs> pitch, yes. pretty early. Because he basically, pitch then gives them three rocks that they throw through <laughs> the window. Two of them hit that mechanical Santa Claus we talked about. The third somehow hits the actual Santa Claus. <laughs> so Santa Claus takes a special interest in these three little boys. He keeps watching them and spying on them and listening in on them and talking to them. Yeah, there's the one creepy scene where he's spying on them as they're writing their letter to Santa and telling them how good they've been. Oh, he'll never know. That's right. And we see that we see the kids writing and then we go back up to Santa's spy shop and we see that really creepy machine with the big red lips (laughs) talking in those kids voices. (laughs) The spy shop. I don't know what else to call it. A surveillance center. (laughs) It's a good way to put it. Well, they, that machine is just so creepy. As I told you before, when, before we started recording, I said, I know, 
I would bet large sums of money that Paul Rubens watched this movie as a young kid because there's a very Pee Wee's Playhouse vibe to these pieces of equipment. Definitely. I could see that. All right. You know, we talked about the letters. Can we talk about the letters real quick? Sure. Because this is another moment in the movie that I thought, really? Okay. So apparently at the post office, whenever they get a letter from Santa Claus, they just dump it in the fire. Yeah, they dump it right into the incinerator. But because it's Christmas and Santa and magical and all this, instead of going down to the incinerator, the letters all fly up out the chimney unharmed and end up at Santa's spy shop <laughs> up on the planet of crystal and candy <laughs> which and which he opens the door you know they build up there and it's like tribbles falling on captain kirk we have the yep. avalanche of letters falling on santa and when he starts going through the letters he's got this table and there are three slots in the table one's the letters from the good children and you know i guess he's going to honor that even if a kid a good kid asks for a machine gun for christmas he's going to put it in the good slot uh, <laughs> There's the bad slot where he reads the letter from the three little bad kids like, oh, 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 you can't get one over on me. (laughs) Puts it in the bad slot. And then I want a baby brother for Christmas. Well, the center slot is the stork slot. (laughs) Oh, I can't take care of those. And did you notice that the stork slot was also labeled Paris? That was odd. And I I don't know if that's just a Spanish word for something else. I I don't know. You know, Paris, the city of lights, the city of love, like (laughs) Sure. I'm sure that's exactly what they're going for. But when he reads the letter, it's like, oh, baby brother. Well, you know, he gets this kind of knowing look on his, this creepy, like, well, I know how your parents can make that happen and then puts it in the slot. And if I need to help, I'll be right there. Whoa. (laughs) I'll just spy on that from my slave (laughs) shop. Oh, what a, wow. Yeah. Those three little kids don't pull one over on Santa. Not after hitting him in the face with a rock, a magic rock. (laughs) Oh, we get to the point now where it's time for Santa to make final preparations for his trip to Earth, which he can make once a year. So he needs to go and speak to the one man that can help him out. Of course, in the Christmas tradition, in the Santa mythos, who does he go talk to? Merlin? What is Merlin doing in this film? I have no (laughs) idea. But Merlin's there. And apparently, you know, the scene ends. Well, I'll see you next year, Merlin. Apparently, Santa doesn't do anything with Merlin except for this one night. He just lets him be the rest of the year. Yeah, Merlin's his man. He produces the dust that he can spray or blow on kids to make them go back to sleep and forget everything. Merlin also gives him... (laughs) Not creepy at all. No. (laughs) He also gives uh, Santa a magical flower that allows him to fly and go down the chimneys. Now, the version that you watched, did you watch the extended scene where Merlin is making the dust or just Santa shows up and he gets the dust? I just, yeah, I don't, I didn't watch the extended stuff. It, that scene is a lot longer because Santa walks in and he says, I'm just finishing up. And he goes over to the flowers where he's getting the stuff to make the dust. And he's, oh, I forgot the urn. And he walks back across the set talking to Santa, gets the urn, puts the flowers, tells him what it is, goes back over to Santa. Oh, I need to get something else. And then he goes back and forgets the urn again. He does it like two or three times. Oh, I forgot the urn. Okay. No, I did see that. Yeah. No, because it's, it's this weird kind of slapsticky stooge kind of moment yep in the mystery science theater 3000 version that part is just cut down to where santa comes in and gets the magic dust okay so now he's got santa's got his stuff that he needs to fly and to put the kids back to sleep if need be after breaking into their house with the magic golden key well that's where he goes next he needs to get the magic key because i guess not all houses have chimneys in some houses he needs to get in with the magic key and we get a (laughs) What would you call this guy? Sort of, you know, this he's a big, huge bodybuilder, and he's all oiled up, and he's he's a and blacksmith. He's got, he's, and It's something like straight out of, like, a sword and sandal film. Oh, he's yeah. Just, it's a Hercules type. Yeah, <laughs> uh, with plenty of fake hair stuck to his chest. At least I hope it's fake, because if not, he made some odd grooming choices. Because it's, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Again, you know, stuff that, I've always grown up being taught was part of the Santa, Santa mythos, but yeah. he gives him this magic key. And how do I, how do I know that it works? Well, I've got this test area over here and you just go through all these doors and it's like you open one door, there's another door and another door and another door. Well, and they say, we've got the hall of a thousand magic doors. 
are we meant to believe that to test out this key, Santa just spent however long going through a thousand doors to make sure it works? And wouldn't each successive door need to be smaller than the one before it? To make that work? Yeah, I'd think so. Well, Santa takes some steps to kind of slim down a little bit, though. It's, you know, he'll fit through. <laughs> Boy, when you first see that scene, you have no idea what he's doing. <laughs> oh, I suspected he was about to take care of some man business. That it was time that, that Santa had to make a pit stop because it's it's focused the camera man i you know this is not what monster kid radio does normally okay this is not we don't make these kinds of implications or jokes here on the show. <laughs> but it really felt like santa was about to drop his drawers and, and take care of some business just the way the camera is set up and the way his legs are kind of squatting a little bit shaking no, he, yeah, that's not what he's doing he's hooking himself up to a machine one of those little band machines that jiggles your belly. So I suppose only makes you skinnier. In fact, doesn't Pee Wee have one of those at Pee Wee's Playhouse? Yeah. 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 You know, it's that, that typical 50s thing, weight-reducing machine that probably never really worked. So he spends like 10 seconds in that. And then he's got the test area with all the fake chimneys. <laughs> yeah, see if the magic flower works. I was actually scared for the actor playing Santa here because he's a large guy. And to get into one of these chimneys, he's got to get on a rope ladder to climb up a few steps and then kind of lift his leg over and get into the chimney. When he puts his weight on that rope ladder, it sinks a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I started to feel a little bit of concern for this guy because, like I said, he's a large dude. And they're expecting him to kind of hurt himself over this thing. I I felt bad for him. I wanted to help him out. (laughs) You hear that, Santa Claus? I would have been there to help you. I was afraid when I first saw it. I was afraid that the rope ladder was going to oh no break, <laughs> or just keep sinking down like Ned Beatty's character in Superman Two. Yeah, bring, you know? <laughs> bring the whole sleigh down with it. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's managed to fit in the chimney, so it's time to go. So we get to see <laughs> Santa's sleigh for the first time. It's pretty normal looking. I mean, oh, the sleigh itself, yeah, n- normal looking. Uh, we don't. Unfortunately, have the full reindeer team. There's no eight tiny reindeer with Rudolph leading the way. Well, and that that's a very American thing. That started, you know, as a Montgomery Ward's thing, didn't it? The Rudolph. Oh, Rudolph, yes. That was written. Yeah. But the eight tiny reindeer, that's straight out of Clement Moore's Night Before Christmas. Right. No, we don't have that. <laughs> no, we've got, it's, a, it's just four. Just four mechanical wind-up reindeers. We don't know their windup at first. At no, first, it's true. they're just statics. They're just mannequins or dummies. And I was worried there for a minute that we were just going to supposed to expect that they were real reindeer. I wouldn't have put it past the film at this point. It's pretty low budget. You know, I first saw it. I thought, well, maybe they're asleep and Santa's going to use some of that magic dust. Maybe it also wakes them up. They're resting all year so they could be able to fly around the world. No, no. <laughs> like everything else here. We're it's told a, by the narrator it's a toy. It's a giant toy. And he's got a giant key. Then it winds them up. <laughs> and they make the creepiest, creepiest laugh you have ever heard. Yeah. Also, Pedro comes out with the big book. Now, Santa, here's your book of good boys and girls. And Santa points at his head and says, I got it all in here. I haven't forgotten. Well, maybe just to be safe, I'll let you take it anyway. Pedro's like the number one kid here. Yeah. He's he's definitely the... Um, house boy. Yeah, house boy. I was going to say the personal assistant. <laughs> we also get a parade. This is the last time we see all of the worker kids because there's a parade of them coming in, filling up Santa's sack with the all the toys they made. Including the little African kid again. Yep. We, get, we do get to see him again. I was hoping we would never have to see him again because it's just so sad. The way they just put him in the loincloth and just call it good. This is an interesting little trick, though, the way they do the the toys. You know, they want to give the impression that that bag will hold every toy they put in there and the way they set it up. It's kind of a nice little trick. Yeah. Well, it was, you know, clever filmmaking bit of business. I still couldn't get past the reindeer. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Okay, I wanted to stop there because... Well, we're getting near the third act of the film, and Scott and I will go back to that here in a couple of days on the next episode of Monster Kid Radio to talk about that and then just talk about our overall thoughts. Like I said at the beginning of all this, 
this movie is a little outside the Monster Kid Radio wheelhouse, sort of. It still has the fantasy elements, and we're still down with fantasy movies here on Monster Kid Radio, especially a classic. It's from 1959, so by the broadest definition, I suppose you could say this is a classic, or as we like to say here on the show, maybe it's a not-so-classic. Either way... I'm so glad that I watched it, and I hope that came through in the conversation I had with Scott. Like I said in the recording, it may sound like I'm a little down on the movie. The movie's just confusing. (laughs) I didn't dislike it. I was just really confused by it, and you know what? Damn it. I'm going to have to watch it again. I think I really have to explore this Blu-ray, really get into the the behind-the-scenes stuff that's on there, and just watch the movie again from start to finish, this time for fun, not with my critical eye. But with my fun, I'm looking for a Christmas movie eye. I think it'll be interesting. Anyway, come back in a couple of days for part two of the conversation about this movie with Scott Morris. Like I said at the top of the show, we have a number of people who have called in to our voicemail line or even sent me an MP3 file with some holiday greetings for Monster Kid Radio listeners. Hi, Derek. This is Alan Trump in beautiful St. Louis giving you a call. Uh, you were nice enough to let me on the program a while back to talk about H.P. Lovecraft-inspired monster movie posters. And I've been listening uh, every week to each podcast and enjoying it each time. Hey, I thought it might be appropriate for Christmas, uh, since I kind of grew up in the classic Monster Kid era of the 60s and 70s, to talk about some of the favorite monster-related Christmas gifts I received, see if anybody else remembered these. Uh, number three on my list would have to be Hamilton's Invaders. I had to look that one up on the Internet. Basically, they were giant bugs covered with nasty-looking blisters and boils. Uh, when you pulled the string, like Lugosi says in Glen or Glenda, they ran across the room going something like, ah, uh, terrifying everybody. It looked a little bit like the uh, Zanty Misfits from The Outer Limits. Uh, each one also had terrible little pincers on it, uh, mandibles that you could crush little uh blue toy soldiers that came with it. So uh, great fun all around. Um, number two, I would have to say, is the Whammo Air Blaster, which shot a beam of concentrated air, uh, and you could knock people's hair around and stuff. It came conveniently with little paper aliens that you could knock over. And you see it featured in Santa Claus, uh, Congress of Martians, and Frankenstein vs. the Space Monster. One I had was really heavy black plastic with plenty of opportunity for you to stick your fingers accidentally when you had to pump it in and and pinch yourself. Eventually, they made a smaller version in in blue and white plastic, I believe, but I got the big, heavy prototype. And my last one, the best one, I would have to say, was the Strange Change Time Machine, I think, from Hasbro. And this was in the era when they had all of the Thing Maker and Vacuform toys, like incredible edibles, people, people, and stuff like that. This one, it had you take little colored wafers, put them inside of a dome, and then heat them up, and they would unfold into things like dinosaurs, aliens, snakes, and other goodies. Um, then when you get tired, you play with those. When you get tired of them, put them back in the dome, heat them back up again, and they become soft plastic, and you could put them into a side compartment, like a trash compactor, and squish them down again into little capsules. Once more, uh, this was a great toy unless you forgot to leave it on and could potentially burn your house down then. I did leave it on one time. Luckily, didn't burn the house down, but I did have a poor plastic snake in there, orange snake that got overcooked and got kind of crispy all over again. Um, didn't have time to tell you about the glow-in-the-dark green ghost game or my Fireball XL5 color form set, but wanted to wish everybody a Merry Christmas, uh, a Hanukkah, Kwanzaa. Hey, Derek and all the Monster Kid Radio listeners. This is Andy Campbell from the Kaiju 101 podcast, wishing all the Monster Kids out there a very happy holidays. 2014 was a banner year for me in my Monster Kid geekdom. And one of the highlights was talking about the Deadly Mantis back on episode 87 with you, Derek. Uh, Thanks for a fun 2014. This show is one of the highlights for me every week when I see the little, there's a new episode notification in my iTunes. Listen right away. Hopefully 2015, I'll find my way back on the show again. Until then, I'll talk to you later. Bye. This is Frank Delestrito in Houston, Texas. I write books and articles on horror films. I was honored last June when Derek recorded my talk at the Munster Bash on Appen Costello Meet Frankenstein and posted it as a podcast on Munster Kid Radio. I wish all of the Munster Kid Radio family happy holidays. Some of my fondest Christmas memories involve the movies that we all love. Million Dollar Movie on Channel 9 in New York played the same film several times a day for a week. 
Over the holiday season of 1958, it aired the 1939 Hunchback of Notre Dame. Lon Chaney Sr. may be the iconic Quasimodo, but for me, Quasimodo will always be Charles Lawton. I thought I think Lawton is magnificent in the role, and I saw the movie at least five times that week. A year later, Million Dollar Movie's holiday offering was the 1941 Abbott and Costello movie, Hold That Ghost. I think I watched it every day that week. Hold That Ghost is not the first Abbott and Costello movie that I saw, but it is the first that I saw from their prime years, when Lou Costello was a bubbling ball of energy and his timing with Bud Abbott was razor sharp. Old movies were definitely part of my holidays growing up, and they still are. Merry Christmas to all. Hey, Monster Kid fans. This is Chris McMillan calling in with a holiday greetings. Happy holidays, and here's to a happy new year full of monster movie madness. Everyone have a great year, and see you in 2015, and um, take care. Bye. Happy holidays from Greg Starrett, co-author of Fit for a Frankenstein, fan of Monster Kid Radio, and was a guest this year. Do you remember when you were a kid running downstairs and opening up an Aurora Monster model? I know I sure do. That was some of my best gifts. Anyway, wishing you all a Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and buy Fit for a Frankenstein. It makes a great gift, too, don't it? Hello, Monster Kid Radio. Happy Solstice or Merry Christmas or whatever you celebrate. Let's all hope the sun comes back this year. Um, Happy Monstrous Wishes. My name is Reber Clark, and I hope that everybody has a wonderful holiday. Bye. Randy Bowser here, author of Karloff, the one-man show about Boris Karloff. Getting my show up on stage for the first time was the supreme highlight of my 2014. With the enthusiastic support from your Monster Kid host, Derek M. Cook, and the other Boris fans who came to the show, I couldn't have asked for a more spectacular premiere. Now, I'm raring to go with 2015, getting my play into the hands of people who can take it to the next level. I wish for all Monster Kid listeners an equally exciting and productive New Year, and I'll pass on a tip. If you ever need a dose of inspiring good energy, all you have to do is make sure you never miss one of Derek's podcasts. He's the real deal, bursting with sincere, dedicated love for your favorite kinds of movies. So, stay tuned. And make 2015 a monstrously magical year for yourself. So we just heard from, and not necessarily in this order, Alan Trump, Andy Campbell, Reber Clark, Chris McMillan, Frank Dello Strito, Greg Starrett, and Randy Bowser. Now, we have got a few other call-ins on hold. I'm going to put them in the next episode of Monster Kid Radio, a couple of former guests, as well as a listener of the show. So even though I originally opened up this call for holiday greetings to former guests, if you're a listener of the show and you'd like to call in some holiday greetings, well, I'd love to have you in the mix. Why don't you give us a call? Again, our voicemail line is 503 479 Five six five seven. I would need to eat the holiday greeting in by Christmas Eve because the next episode goes out on Christmas Day on the 25th. It'll be a Christmas miracle when Scott Morris and I come back to talk about Santa Claus some more. Looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to sharing that conversation with everybody. And I'm looking forward to hearing from anybody who wants to call in a holiday greeting. In the meantime, remember that the Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0 unported license. However, the song Winter Wonderland by the Nick Adams, well, that belongs to the Nick Adams. It's from their album, The Nick Adams Christmas Record. You can find them over at the Nick Adams. Dot com And that's the Nick is the name and Adams as in science dot com. Or you can find them in the bands and songs link over at the website at monsterkidradio.net. Talk to everybody here in a couple of days. Whoa, this just in from Jacko's Weather Center. A record of 56 inches of snow is now on the ground. Holy, I'll bet the kids will be all happy to have all schools are closed today. That's right. So get out there and enjoy that winter wonderland.